Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. One, two, three, four! Hello and welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter. This is almost the final podcast before 2021. Bring on 2021. Not quite because we've got another one because there are so many best bits that we wanted to round up that... Well, we just kind of had to. We had to split it into two, otherwise it would have been too long. So this podcast is out this week, and then there will be another the day after Boxing Day. I feel like that day should have a name, but it doesn't. But it will be there. So if you want to hear from Dolly Alderton and Layla Sides, that will be on the 27th of December, she says, checking the dates in her head. But it will be. This one, however, I wanted to do, well, to bring you, I guess, a little bit of some of the wisdom and also some of the joy from this year's show. So we've got two amazing, well, three actually, three amazing guests on this show. First is Natalie Liu, who is a coach, and I hope I can say a friend of mine. I'm going to say a friend of mine because I want her to be. And she and I spoke earlier in the year, at the beginning of the first lockdown, about loneliness and how to manage feeling lonely. And I just felt it was such an important interview that actually it would be worth having a little listen to again right now. And then because I like a bit of joy and because, well, Christmas was all about a birth that nobody was expecting, we have a couple who just have the most beautiful story about how their child came to be. And if you are somebody who is sitting there listening to this thinking, I don't know if I will have kids or if that's on the menu for me or I want it, but it's not possible. They just have it's such a beautiful story. Hannah and Jake Graff, just amazing, amazing couple. Before we get into it all, though, I wanted to take a bit of time and just talk to you about my experience of this year, because I feel like it might resonate with some of you. Back in March of this year, Badass Women's Hour changed quite considerably. Emma and Nat, who I've done the podcast with for the last three years, four years, a long time, both decided they had other commitments, and so they were going to go off and pursue those. And while they've dropped in occasionally for an odd check-in, it's mainly been me ever since. The idea was when that happened that I would have some incredible badass guests that we would kind of rotate on like a panel format and you'd get to know them and it would be really fun and we'd have great chats and discussions. But then the week after Emma and Nat did their final show, we all went into lockdown and suddenly it wasn't possible to get those people in one room together for us to have those discussions. And so the show took on a different format. And I hope that over the past, uh, how many weeks, 40 weeks, 
hope that over the past 40 weeks, I've brought you some inspiring people who have a truly badass approach to life and who have given you some time and ideas for how you could be living your life. But that hasn't really always been the easiest thing to do in a pandemic. So first of all, I really wanted to say thank you to all of you for staying with us for that time. Thank you for being part of Badass Women's Hour, for being loyal listeners and for making this show so worth doing. The second thing is that this year has really taught me about the importance of time. So how quickly time goes and how little of it we have. It feels weird to be recording this in December because part of me feels like this year has never really happened. Even though lockdown dragged at points for seemingly an unending amount of time, I don't know how we got to December. Where has that time gone? And so I wanted to just say, if you're feeling at the end of this year like you haven't accomplished or achieved or done the things you meant to do this year, well, really none of us have. But you have achieved a lot of other stuff. If you had told yourself at the beginning of the year what you were going to go through and how you would be feeling at the end of it, I don't think you would have realized how strong or capable you were going to be. And so there is a strange thing about the passing of time, which is sometimes in it, we forget to count the milestones that seem ordinary at the time, but are huge when we look back. So if you've got here to this podcast, well done. You have done almost better than me, um, but we made it together. And finally, um, there is a lot at the moment around bring on 2021. It's going to be so much better. I think I said it just a minute ago. Do you know what? We just don't know that. We don't know that it will be better. We don't know that 2021 will be a great shining year. Oh my gosh, I hope it will. But the thing to remember when we look at 2021 is that there isn't very much we can do about it. We can't control it. We can't force it to be different. We can't force it to change. If this year has taught us anything, it is that we have very little control over the world outside of us. But you can sit here and appreciate being here in this moment, having the option to listen to this podcast, having the ability to listen to it, and the knowledge that tomorrow you might have the same opportunity again. Maybe not this podcast. Maybe you can find another one. But I hope that we take from this year the ability to sit just with the moment and without the expectation or hope or need to plan for the future and instead just appreciating what we have in the here and now. This is like my kind of Queen's Christmas speech to you, but not as good and certainly without the script writers. But I hope it's resonated for some of you and thank you again for still being here and still listening. And now, first up on this week's show, coach and author Natalie Liu. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. 
With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. And this week we meet writer, podcaster, woman whose book changed my life, the amazing Natalie Lou. Hello, Nat. Oh, hi, Harriet. Oh, <laughs> you introduced me so well. <laughs> it's because, honestly, I'm sure I said this the last time you came on Badass Women's Hour, but when we met at an event and you were like, oh, I'm Natalie Lou and I do this and I wrote this book and I was like, oh, that book that changed my life I remember that it was, that was such a funny moment because um I was all like shy because I do tend to be in situations shy socially awkward and then I'm like hi and you're like what Natalie Mr. sort of even fallback on Natalie and, and and I was like oh she knows who I am. It was so funny. It was it was such a funny conversation. It was really funny. Let's give the book its proper promo because it is brilliant. Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl. And it came from your blog, Baggage Reclaim, which is also now an amazing podcast that I listen to all the time and love. Um, and it's all about relationships and dating and how we can look at what we're doing and maybe approach dating a bit differently. For anyone who doesn't know you, hasn't read the book, hasn't listened to the podcast, sum up your view on modern dating. Uh, it's messy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think that we uh, have this impression that things are so much easier now because we have so many options to date, but actually we seem to have amassed more problems to, to go with it. Um, I think that there are so many ways to interact with people now that we don't know how to choose a partner anymore. Um, We get very carried away sometimes. Um, And I think that a lot of people just don't know how to, am I dating? Am I in a relationship? Are we casual? Are we not casual? So I feel like a lot of people are lost when it comes to dating, for sure. I, I think people find it harder than they've ever found it, even though ironically, we're supposed to have so many more means to meet somebody these days so let's talk I want to use this podcast to talk really about dating and relationships in this strange period that we find ourselves in because it felt like when the government announced that we were going into lockdown when all the news around coronavirus happened it sort of felt like as humans we would all kind of go oh well we should probably put dating on hold for a while because there's a global pandemic going on. Maybe our love life isn't the most important thing. And yeah, that's not human nature, is it? No, no, not at all. And it's funny because when the lockdown first started, I remember talking on the podcast about it and saying, you know, as humans, we haven't wanted to pause. 
we don't want to stop. We don't, we don't want to feel too much. We don't want to think too much. And then something like this comes along and we have the opportunity. Well, well, a hard reset has been forced upon us. We've been forced to slow down, to pause, to think, to feel. And I come across so many people who could do with a dating break. So they're in this cycle and you say to them, have you ever thought about, you know, mm, not dating for a while? I'm not talking about taking a vow of celibacy and never dating ever again, you know, for the next, I don't know, 50 years. I'm talking, I don't know, three months, maybe <laughs> six weeks. And you would be amazed at how many can barely go for like a week or two. And when I talk about like a dating break, I'm talking, can you just put the whole romantic pursuit thing on pause? No texting and sexting back and forth with exes you know, no, you know, collecting attention on the dating app or whatever, just leave it all alone, put a pause on the whole dating and relationship thing. And for some, that is not possible. And then what I found is that lockdown kind of divided those into two groups. So some who went, do you know what? I'm just going to breathe a big old sigh of relief because now I can give myself permission to do the thing that I've avoided doing and I'm just not going to date for a while. And then others <laughs> seem to double down <laughs> on, on dating during this time. So I've heard from people and they're like, yeah, I'm going on dates and um, I'm going on like lockdown walks and we're like having five, <laughs> six hour video dates. When would we ever have had like five, six hour like no. dates rando, you know, <laughs> that we barely even know. But yeah, some people have really doubled down on dating in this time. And you know what? I get it. I think there's, I think loneliness is okay. a factor. Um, and I think it's very easy to go, well, you know, this could be a really great time to pause, take some time out. But if you genuinely feel like, oh my gosh, like I'm so lonely or I'm alone, talking to, yeah, some rando online can <laughs> seem like a very exciting prospect. So I was talking to some uh, friends of mine about this, not about this the other day, but about kind of making big decisions whilst in lockdown, because uh, I was on the podcast, Is This Working with uh, Anna and Tiffany? And we were talking about whether or not you should quit your job. That's it. Like, should you quit wow. your job in lockdown? If you've had this realisation that actually life's short, we could all die tomorrow. I hate my job. I should just quit. Should you do it? And I said, you shouldn't make any big decisions whilst in crisis mode. So you shouldn't um, shouldn't quit your job, shouldn't move to the other side of the world. Uh, and I base this on a quote from Speed 2, that notoriously fantastic film. Love um, your work. Thank you. <laughs> My dear, some people go and read psychologists. I watch Sandra Bullock films. <laughs> I'm, to- I'm, totally, I'm totally with you on this. Like, quoting like 80s and 90s films is totally the way to go for this. Um, in which she talks about her relationship with Keanu Reeves from Speed 1, who interestingly did not make it into Speed 2. And she says, relationships formed in crisis never work out. Is that your view? Uh, Yeah, I would say 99% of the time, yeah. I mean, I I think that you're going to start a relationship or quit your job with lockdown goggles, uh, because that's, I, I think, look, I think it's great that we're discovering all sorts of things during lockdown. Some of it's like, wow, I can actually cook or I can bake and all this. So there are some wonderful things that we might learn this. We might learn to meditate. We might finally learn to relax, to breathe out. But we also, at the same time, can as humans almost trick ourselves into believing that this is is something we're going to continue 
feeling and being and doing after lockdown. And we don't know if we will, because we're not post lockdown <laughs> yet. Uh, I mean, it's like, you know, when you go on, when you have a holiday romance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you go on holiday and you know, you're wearing your best drawers, you're, you're <laughs> super cool on a holiday. You're shaving and, your legs every day. Yeah, I'm going to change my life. I'm on holiday. I've discovered myself. And you get back to, you get back to London or wherever and you're like, yeah, back to the status quo. I'm not saying that that is exactly how it will be after lockdown. But I think that when we make these decisions, you know, it, sometimes it's not even about crisis. When we make decisions from a place of desperation, mm-hmm. fear of being alone, fear of really anything, we make very different decisions to those ones that we make from a place of desire, from a place of being grounded in who we are. And I think that that's what we have to distinguish between. Is this a decision that I would make even if I wasn't in crisis? Yeah. You know, would I do this? What is influencing me to do this? We, ha- we do have to check. Look, it is very possible that we might discover that we don't like our job during lockdown. I think that's a very distinct <laughs> possibility of that. Because something else I talked about was about how, isn't it amazing how so many companies could not find it within themselves to allow people to do flexible working, you know, to work from home. You know, my brother-in-law had a whole, like he campaigned, pitched everything about working from home to his company. And they were like, oh, well, why would we do that when we could just spend like 50 million pounds on an office, like wherever? They said, no, it's not possible to work from home. Lockdown comes along. Suddenly, everybody can work from home. But also, I think when you come out of being in, your, in, in an office environment, for instance, and you now, you're now in lockdown, and you see how much a job might encroach, mm-hmm. not just on, on your personal life, but even who you are as a person, it might force you to reevaluate your life. Um, and I think that depending on the size of the problem that, yeah, there will be some people who are like, you know what, this is intolerable and I'm not even going to keep this job. But I think generally speaking, we do have to be careful about some of the decisions we're making during this time. So should we be dating at all during this time? Do you think there's a way in which we can, in quote, we can date? Yeah, you know, uh, you, you, you know me, I'm not massively keen on on the shoulds because mm-hmm. I think that dating in particular is riddled with a lot of shoulds. Oh, you know, don't have sex on the first date. Only have sex when X amount of dates have gone by. You have to do this. Don't call. I mean, I still hear from so many women who were influenced by that book, The Rules, and they go, oh, yeah. uh, um, so my friend said that I'm not supposed to call because the rules, blah, 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 blah. Um, however, I'm like, okay, look, if you want to date, like nothing that you or I, you know, say to them is, is going to make a massive amount of difference, but it's about being aware of the emotional consequences of doing so, because there are some people who will continue to date during this time and they can handle the emotional consequences of it. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty who cannot. And it's all for real. You've got to be intentional about things. Like know your intentions for dating. I say this even when we're not in this flipping lockdown. It's like dating because you are in a pretty good place with yourself and you're genuinely open to meeting somebody and you're not already invested in the outcome generates an entirely different outcome to I'm going to get on an app because I had a really, really crappy day at work today and that person was getting on my damn nerves and I'm feeling really low about myself. So let me yeah. go on a date or, you know, I don't want to be on my own. Oh, I'm feeling really uncomfortable today. Oh, I just saw my ex on Instagram with such and such. 
the the outcome is entirely different when you date from that place. So it's about knowing your intentions. If the reason why you're dating during lockdown is because you're bored, is because you can't hack being on your own, you hate yourself, you know, you're not over your ex, you're spying on your ex all day long, and this is another way to kind of make yourself feel better about that. If it's just because like, oh, I'm really, really panicked about whether I'm going to meet somebody, those are not really good reasons to date because you're not really looking under the hood of why you're feeling that way or why you're doing that particular thing. But if you're a pretty self-aware person and you're like, you know what? I can keep myself in check. I'm not somebody who's typically prone to being in a fantasy relationship. I know the difference between fact and fiction. You know, I, I haven't had a whole thing in my head where I believe that I'm going out with somebody who I only like spoke to like a couple of times <laughs> last year and whatever. If you don't do that type of stuff, please roll on with your bad self. <laughs> but if, if you prior to lockdown have dabbled a fair amount in the fantasy of dating online, this is your time to bow out because I tell you something, it is bad enough when we don't have lockdown and we, we do this type of stuff to ourselves. <laughs> but imagine that you indulge in this fantasy and then the person stops like engagement, you stop texting or whatever. You don't have all the other yeah. things that you normally would to fall back on if, you know, if, if and when things go, you know, Pete Tonga said, you are going to really, really struggle. So you have to know yourself. I was going to still check yourself before you wreck yourself. Type of thing. <laughs> and one thing that's really interesting there is if you're listening and you don't know if you're that type of person or not, I really urge you to do what I once did, which is go back to all the old messages of people <laughs> that you think you've been dating at some point and have a read through those messages and see how deep they really do. Or in my case, do not get. You're like, Oh, and it's amazing how we can delude ourselves to to an extent, because that is the nature of being human. We, we do delude ourselves to a certain extent, but I, but I think that this isn't the time to do that to us Mm. because we don't necessarily have all of the things that we normally might do to escape to, and that's obviously not necessarily a bad thing either, but there could be huge emotional consequences for us for doing so. So then how do we handle loneliness if we're kind of making that decision which says I'm going to be very, very wary about potentially dating while in lockdown, but I am either living by myself or maybe I'm living in a shared house with people that I'm not that keen on, or I was keen on three weeks ago, but now we spent 24-7 together, I'm not that keen on, um, and I'm lonely. How do we manage yeah. that? And that is, that's the tricky one because mm-hmm. there is, there is something to be said for our ability to forge a level of connection online with people, because obviously there's plenty of people that we don't see all the time. Like you and I only see each other yeah. occasionally, but we still yeah. have a connection because we, you know, we keep in, yeah. you know, in a level of touch with each other. And I think that sometimes online can be the savior of loneliness when we do it in such a way that we can take care of us at the same time. And I think that if we do feel lonely during this, a romantic connection doesn't necessarily have to be the thing that we do to alleviate those feelings. So we could still go online. We could still because isn't it Bumble the, the one that you can actually also do for yeah, friendship? Yeah, make friends. Yeah, make friends as well. Um, loneliness isn't about how many people you have around you, or whether you're a loser or whatever. Which I think a lot of people tend to associate loneliness with, because we all know of people who are 
you know, they're, they're known as the life and soul. They have all these people yeah. around them and actually incredibly lonely. Loneliness is the emotional state that we experience when we've become disconnected from ourselves. You know, we stopped expressing our innermost feelings and thoughts, not just to others, but also to ourselves. That's where loneliness comes from. So if once we stop doing that with us and with others, we're going to feel lonely. Um, and so even if we connect with others, so for instance, through a dating or yes, looking for friendship or whichever else, if we don't find a way to be, to start expressing ourselves to us and to others, we're going to still feel lonely anyway. It, yeah. it will be a, a sort of a temporary relief for the anxiety, for the loneliness, and then we will feel back to square one. And so it, it can be so difficult in these situations because we, it's almost like we're lonely and then we have to in some way try to ascertain why we are lonely in the first place, which can be hard to look at when we're in that space. And I think that even if we're not in a space to look at that, let's say we do go off and we, we go and try to make friends online or, you know, doing the Zooms and whichever else. And I've heard from so many people over the last few weeks who are like, actually, um, so some are like, actually, Zoom has been great or house party or whatever. Yeah. And I've heard from others who said that actually they feel worse for, for all the Zooming. And that's been quite fascinating because these are people who are saying that they are lonely mm. and that they want to, you know, they misconnect. Some of them are like, it's not a substitute for the, the real deal because I'm still in my house. You know, I'm still in my yard on my own. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm talking to these people. It's not a substitute for somebody sitting beside you, putting your arms around somebody. And admittedly, no, it isn't. Um, but what's been interesting is sometimes people are feeling lonely, but also in touch with others. But it's very light and superficial in those interactions. And so all of this Zooms, they're finding that they're, the, the other person is talking a lot about themselves and their stuff, and they're not really talking about their inner world or what's going on with them. And it just goes to show how even when we're connecting with others online, we can still end up being lonely because we pretend to be something that we're not, or we, yeah. we kind of let somebody else have the limelight. It's a, I, I think it's a, it's a tricky one because I feel for anybody who experiences loneliness during this time and you don't have the option of just stepping out of your house and going up and going off and meeting up with somebody. I mean, I know some might try and do the socially distance walk or talk over yeah. the fence to the neighbor or whatever else, but it's, yeah, it's not quite the same, but I don't know that dating somebody and having, you know, the long video calls is necessarily the answer to the loneliness either. It'll pacify, but it won't be a medium to long-term solution. Well, what I think you're saying is that the reality is that loneliness is not about who you're with. It's about how you, how you show up. Yeah. 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 I think, and, and it's funny because I look, I have a husband and two children and a crazy ass dog. <laughs> and I've still, I still have times of experiencing that lonely feeling. And there'll be other people out there who'd be going, oh my gosh, like if I had a husband and two kids and a dog, like I don't think I would. But actually, like, well, you know, I lost yeah. uh, my father like three years mm -hmm. ago. And grief is like an incredibly lonely emotional yeah. state. So you can, you can be a whole group of you all ex grieving the same person. 
but it's still really individual and specific to you. So I have felt, I've definitely experienced loneliness over these few years. But then what pulls me out of that loneliness is when you plug back in to Mm -hmm. one, your connection with yourself and two, trying to connect with others. It's admitting, actually, I'm struggling. It's admitting that maybe you keep, I I, I don't know about you, Harriet. In fact, I'm pretty sure you Mm -hmm. do a similar thing to me, but you know, when we don't ask, we're not in the habit of asking for help and admitting that um, we're struggling. These are the things that contribute to loneliness. And so I would encourage anybody who is feeling lonely, does anybody know that you actually feel that way? Like, are you pretending that you're okay all the time while everybody else is telling you all of their problems? Do you ever ask for help? Do you ever admit that you're struggling? Do you ever admit that actually you need more than whatever it is that you've been accepting? It's it's a hard one, loneliness. It I what you said that just really resonated with me, which was, you know, have you even told anyone that you're lonely? And that's you know because we feel such sort of shame around it, don't we? It's so shameful yeah. to say actually I feel lonely right now. It's about saying, oh, I don't have enough friends. Well, we do, but maybe just in that precise moment in time, there was just something that meant we weren't connecting with them, or we weren't talking to them, or we weren't being completely emotionally honest with them, and. You know, that's can be the case even if you're in a relationship it's you you're not being emotionally honest and available with the person you're in that relationship with you are going to feel lonely yeah and it, and the thing is is i think that uh loneliness is is treated like it's a permanent statement of our future and yes. rather than being an emotional state that we're in right now it might not even be the feeling that we had all day but sometimes what happens not even just with loneliness but with other feelings oh I had this feeling at nine o'clock. And even if we had different feelings after nine o'clock, we spend all day going, I can't believe I felt that feeling at nine o'clock. And we whip ourselves up into a thing. And and I think as well with loneliness that we don't realize that we have loneliness habits. And so, and, and that reinforces the feeling because on some level we have an awareness that we are feeling differently and behaving differently. And then we don't realize how we might withdraw a bit yeah. in some ways and about how we're maybe not interacting as much. So we don't realize how we're actually feeding loneliness. We don't recognize our own loneliness habits. And I've, I've definitely been guilty of that. So each time I sort of find myself sort of in that zone of like, oh, I've kind of gone into this world of grief and, and feeling lonely again. I've now really gotten to that. Because it's so easy when you're grieving, for instance, or when you feel lonely to be like, oh, but if I turn around to the person and say, oh, you know, I was thinking about dad or whatever it was. Mm. And then you, they, they might be like, oh my God, like you're still thinking about that. Like, like why would you, your, your brain tells you these things. Yeah. Like, oh, people are going to think it's weird that I'm even bothered by that. But it's not, you're just a human person, like a human being feeling and just trying to make your way through life. And sometimes because you, we close ourselves off inadvertently with all the chatter in our head, we get into a lonely place. And that's so interesting because it's not, I've yet to come across any feeling that stays forever. No. You know, it's permanence isn't permanence when it comes to feelings are complete. They're not, that's not a thing. You know, it's, I remember years ago going to therapy and a therapist saying, you can cry if you want. And I was like, no, no, no I don't need to cry. And she's like, are you worried that if you start crying, you'll never stop? And in my head, I was like, yes. I'm like, that's what I'm genuinely worried about. I'm genuinely worried that <laughs> I start crying, I might not stop. And I was like, no, I'm fine. Absolutely fine. And she's like, okay, just because if you were, a lot of people think that. And yet so far, everybody has stopped eventually. It's like, <laughs> well, oh. yeah. Yeah. And I've done that thing as well, like where, 
I, you know, have been sat talking to, you know, whatever, not, not a therapist, but like, uh, you know, when I'd be my kinesiologist or whatever. And, and then I felt myself kind of getting ready to blow up. And just like that, I catch myself and shut it down. And I realized that's just a habit from childhood. Like yeah. there, it, it, it took adulthood for me to realize, wow, you really don't let yourself cry too much. <laughs> you know, I, and 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 I've, I've got better and better at it over the years. And sometimes, actually, I deliberately watch certain things because you just know, like Ghost, it's going to give you a really good ball. Like yeah. Ghost, I cry. At, like my husband is appalled that I still cry every <laughs> single time at the end of Ghost. Beaches <laughs> destroys me. Gladiator again, I cry. He's like, "Are you kidding me? I can't." You've seen this film like about fifty trillion times. You're still crying at the end. But I do it every time, but. It's like it gives you permission to kind of let out some tears that were, <laughs> that were there otherwise. Yeah, I agree. Like, honestly, sometimes and I think actually we need to remember that with our friends as well, which is like if they just want to ring you up and have a good cry, it's not because they're permanently sad. They're just sad at that moment. They want to have yeah. a cry at that moment. And they'll be probably be fine afterwards. And that part of, I think, kind of being able to appease loneliness on both sides if you're feeling lonely is knowing that it's okay to feel that in that moment it's not permanent and it's okay to talk about it because it's not permanent you yeah. stop it eventually and also if somebody shares that with you don't feel you have to take it on and be like oh my god this person's lonely I must do everything I can because yeah. actually just listening is presumably a help for that well, it, it plugs them. It, it plugs them back in because I think all humans want to be seen. We want to be heard, and sometimes the the simple connection happens in that moment when that person gets to feel or acknowledge, "I am not alone," mm. and feels that sense of connection. It's like one when we make ourselves into an island, and it's like, well, I, I never have to ask for help. I am invulnerable. You know, <laughs> I, I must be a rock. All of you can be weak. I must be strong <laughs> at all times, right? This is how we separate ourselves off. When we pretend to be something that we're not, like, honestly, I was lonely in every other romantic relationship that I was in because I would go on dates and I wasn't there as me. I'm there on the date and I'm, I'm listening and it's almost like I'm taking notes. Oh, he said, da, da, da. okay, mm -hmm. noted. That means that I should avoid doing that. Oh, he said he likes this. Okay, try to do that wear that particular thing, whichever else. I was never just there and, and yeah. being me. I never felt like I could totally relax because I was always like, well, if I allow somebody to get close enough to me that they might see me and know me, they're going to like run off and reject me. You know, my daddy issues and mommy yeah. issues, and this whole abandonment thing. <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, I must present this facade. You know, I must please everybody else, but not take care of my needs. Yeah. And these are the things that separate us. These are the things that, that make us lonely because we don't realize how in just trying to please others that we actually end up deceiving ourselves and even others in the process. That's how we can end up feeling lonely because we just, we end up just adrift somewhere else and kind of looking at going, where the hell is everybody? And so it, it's when we kind of plug back in and take care of us that we can find means to alleviate those feelings in a, in a, positive way and something I say to people is you know when we're babies we are gradually taught how to self-soothe from babyhood you know yeah. into childhood obviously we don't all learn to do it that well in that sometimes we find unhealthy ways to soothe us and sometimes we find positive ways to soothe us and the idea of soothing ourselves that's calming and regulating you know soothing our emotions mm -hmm. giving ourselves comfort 
the aim of it is not to solve our problems at 100%. Because, you know, sometimes as humans, we have such unrealistic expectations of ourselves. It's like, oh, well, if I can't solve my whole life by hugging myself or saying something kind to myself, well, why the hell would I bother? Why don't I have a drink instead? Why don't I just eat half the coverage? You know, why don't I just go on some dating site and collect attention? But the aim is not to solve things at 100%. The aim is to do something for us in that moment that calms our body. I, I know you're a fan of the same book as me. Uh, is it The Body Keeps the Score? Body Keeps Score. Best oh, book. Such amazing a great book. book. But it's like, those, if we can learn to soothe ourselves, so yeah. if, if we're feeling lonely, uh, going off and doing something that's only going to end up relieving tension in the short term, but then afterwards we feel like, crap, that's not going to do anything for us. Yeah. It's just going to heighten our nervous system and make us feel bad. But if we can respond to us with tenderness, with care, treat us like we would somebody else that we love. Treat us like a small child. You know, if, if a small child came to us and said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling lonely because blah, blah, blah. We wouldn't turn around and go, yeah, because you're a loser. No. <laughs> or have a gin and tonic. Both, neither of those would be options. <laughs> yeah, we, but we wouldn't. <laughs> our, if our friend came to us and said, uh, you know, I've been feeling really lonely, we wouldn't know, oh my God, like you're so pathetic. Yeah. We can speak to us as we would as a small child or, or, or a friend. And we do that with others. And they don't expect us to solve their problem out to, you know, 100%. Yeah. But it does move things on. It changes the feeling. Do you think since we've been in lockdown we are those feelings are actually well not just those feelings but actually all feelings are heightened because we are having to sit with them in a way that maybe we wouldn't have done before we could have distracted ourselves with work or with people or with being pissed off about our commute there were other things around us whereas we are just sat with us and our feelings right now yeah totally totally happening and of course you know as we're saying earlier we just don't have the same pattern, the same ribbons to distract us. I remember reading somewhere years ago that the single biggest habit changer is uh, moving because even if you just move down the street, because you move into a new place, it it forces you to reset your routines. Mm-hmm. But I think that probably <laughs> competing right with that is lockdown. And <laughs> 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 um, it, it is amazing how uh, a lot of humans prioritize making themselves really, really busy. It, it, people who are workaholics, they're doing it because it's like, oh my God, I love my job. They're avoiding feeling and thinking too much or being present to something else. Because obviously if you're workaholic, you can't do something else. So you delay something else that's going on in your life where you don't have to deal with whatever other problem there is, whether that's, you know, for instance, there are some parents and I, and I know plenty of people who grew up with parents like this, their parents were a workaholic, but it meant that the parent didn't have to deal with the other parents. They didn't have to deal with their marriage or whatever it was. So exercise, we can sometimes over-exercise because it's like, yeah, you know, I don't have to think, I don't have to feel too much. Uh, we get to throw ourselves into these various things. And then something comes along, it's like it slams the brake on our life. And all those feelings that we're trying to keep a lid on start to surface mm-hmm. Because we're out of routine and we just don't have the same go-tos that we normally do. So I do think that that for a lot of people, unless they found something, because you know, there are there will be a chunk of us as humans who in this lockdown we found something else yeah. to replace the other stuff with. But I do think that for 
yeah, for a lot of us also at the same time, that a lot of stuff is coming up for us. It's stuff that we might be going, what the hell is that all about? Like somebody said to me the other day, ever since lockdown started, they have been all this stuff from their childhood that they had forgotten about, positive and negative stuff, just suddenly started flooding into, into their minds. And I think that because lockdown, it is a trauma. And of course, yeah. we're all experiencing it in different ways. And some people might not feel it as intensely, but it is a trauma. And when we've had other traumas or things that certainly, whether it's logical or not, feel like they're similar to what we're going through, then we might find ourselves suddenly remembering things that were long buried, suddenly feeling things that were long buried. Like I found that actually um, when lockdown started, it reminded me of, of times other times in my life where I have not felt in control mm. of my situation. So I felt very deeply anxious initially. Um, and the last time I felt that anxious was when we, um, we'd sold our old place and we were trying to buy our next place. So we were renting in between and the landlord sold our property to the next door neighbor who then turned into the landlord from hell. Oh. And I felt trapped yeah um these people living next door turning up like morning noon and night and it was deeply triggering and it brought up a whole load of stuff from childhood for me and at the time I was like why that like I I felt so so distraught at times during it and it was only then when I was like I, I think I was talking to, <laughs> to my massage therapist you know as you do you have these conversations <laughs> and she just says in this way that she does she's like yeah, but of course you're going to feel this way because you are feeling out of control for the first time probably in adulthood. Yeah. You have gone from a childhood where you grew up in a level of chaos and where you relied on certain things to feel in control. And then now you've been in adulthood and you've taken control of your life. And then all of a sudden you're plunged back into this place where you've got these people sort of trying to take your life and invading you. That's triggered a whole lot of stuff from childhood. So I think that these times can bring up strange feelings and thoughts that we're like, why the hell am I thinking about that? Like uh, weirdly lockdown, because I was brought up in Dublin, um, lockdown, I started thinking about how, when I was growing up in the nineties, like late eighties and nineties in, in Dublin, obviously there was the troubles as we used to refer to them, yeah. like, you know, in, in Northern Ireland. And there would sometimes be bomb scares. Um, and it, there was just this awareness. And at the same time, you just, it became, I don't want to say normalized, but yeah, like yeah. being in this, this, yeah, this sort of sense of heightened feeling became normal. And I suddenly started remembering that during lockdown. Just like, I remember getting the train to Belfast with a friend and uh, rocks being thrown. Because uh, wow. shopping in Belfast was yeah. great in the 90s because you didn't have all those shops that, that, there that you, in, in Dublin that you used to have in Belfast. So you could go to like, uh, back then Gap was like a real thing. Yeah. Had no Gap in Dublin. No, I don't know if we even had Topshop then. Uh, so we go to Belfast, but I remember stuff being thrown at a train that we were on and the windows being smashed. Um, I remember the checkpoints, you know, guns at the air, you know, gunmen at the airports, you know, yeah. security all the time. And now it's like so forgotten. It's a distant part of our past, but it's not even that long ago. But lockdown actually reminded me of that, this awareness that we were in a country that was having troubles. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. You can get in touch on all the socials on at Badass Women's Hour. Now, let's get back to our guest. 
if we are aware that we are in a country that's having troubles, that we are in a trauma situation, mm. and it's bringing up this stuff for us, what can we do about that? Can we do anything or do we just have to be with it? I think that, um, I mean, some people have continued on with therapy um, mm-hmm. during lockdown where they've connected, you know, there's all sorts these days for, for online therapists and stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm a big proponent of journaling. Yes. Um, in that, look, I'm not, again, I don't see anything as, oh, we're supposed to solve something at 100% there and then. But I think that having a curiosity where we can and just noticing, oh, like, what's that all about? Like, oh, that's interesting that that's coming up for me now. Mm. Even just noting it in our journal without actually having to make some sort of judgment about it can be very handy. But also I found that there was a day during lockdown where I was like super anxious and I had some stuff that I needed to do for work. Ironically, I hadn't sent an email newsletter for like some like 15 months. I was like, <laughs> okay, now is the time to send it. <laughs> and I literally had to psych myself up to do this thing. And I found myself spiraling into this meltdown. So I pulled out my journal and I just started, it was like having a therapy session in the journal. And I was right. And after several minutes, I really kind of got down to the heart of what was going on, but actually started giving myself advice. And we're all capable of doing that. That is not yeah. something that just because I am naturally baggage reclaim, but that's why I can do that. <laughs> Anybody can do that, that several minutes into writing, we always get down to the crux of what's really going on. And we're actually in a position to give us advice and have some compassion as well. But um, yeah. I, I do think it's like trying to sit with and notice our feelings, not trying to run off from them. Like sometimes I've just had to go, wow, I am anxious. Sometimes if that's a bit too close to home and if it's like, oh my gosh, like, that's like a stingray at me. Sometimes just turn around and saying it in the third person. I remember there was some research into this mm-hmm. a few years back that in, if, you, if it feels too much saying Harriet is feeling blah, 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 put some distance between yeah. us and helps us to notice the feeling without over-personalizing it as well. And then we can actually go, we can acknowledge it and be like, okay, so what could I do for me? Sometimes we don't even have to do anything. Sometimes acknowledging it is enough in and of itself because then it just moves on and passes. Beautiful. Um, Final question. Speaking of things that should have moved on, but perhaps haven't. Um, (laughs) You already know what you're going to say. You know what I'm going to (laughs) say. Why is lockdown seeing the return of the X? The and what miracle. should we do? What should we do about it? This has been the biggest <laughs> thing in my. I did an episode last week called "Better the Devil." You know, honestly, Harriet, you wouldn't believe the kind of emails I got, and it it was a split where. So in the episode, I basically talked about you know exes popping up out of the woodwork, making these big declarations, and us getting nostalgic, especially in lockdown, and especially if we're going, yeah. oh, but, you know, here I am, home alone. Now my ex is coming back in, and they're saying they've changed. <laughs> and But I'd say it was like a split. Half of them were like, oh my gosh, this literally just happened to me. Every single thing you said, right down to the things that they say, like, um, you've always been there for me. You've always, the one I, you've always been the one I can rely on. No matter what I've done to you, you've always been, you're a good girl, you're a good guy, you know, all this type of stuff. So half of them were like, oh my gosh, this just happened to me and I felt really validated. And then the other half were like, oh my gosh, I listened to the episode, no joke, within like hours, I hear from the ex and they're saying <laughs> exactly that thing. So I think that there is, lockdown, I think can cause us to feel, yeah, a level of nostalgia. You know, we go, we hanker for how things were before. Suddenly, 
you know, we hate commuting in on Southern Rail every day. And I was like, I love the train. I'd love to go with them every day. <laughs> well, a similar thing can happen with exes where they suddenly go, oh, let me flip through my mental Rolodex of all the people who I've come into contact with, like who thinks the sun shines out of me no matter how badly <laughs> I behave. Flicking, oh, flicking through the mental Rolodex. Oh, yeah, let me call her <laughs> up. Let me, and so, a call, more like, let me DM her or him yeah. on Instagram. Let me, you know, send a message on Facebook or text or, you know, send like some sort of ambiguous thing. And it's, it's a massage. We want our ego to be massaged. I think these exes do, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, stroke my ego, make me feel really good about myself. You know, it's like, oh, I'm in lockdown and I need somebody to feel really, to make me feel really good. Oh, who can I call? You know, Ghostbusters. No, I'll just call up, you know, this person who has always been there, even when they shouldn't be. So there is this nostalgia. I think sometimes people are bored at home. Sometimes some of these exes just want to know that the door is still open. It's like, they don't actually want to get back together with us. They just want to know that we haven't moved on. They just want to know that we have the door open enough that it's like, oh, they're still into me. Like they, they haven't figured out who I am yet. So that gives me a big ego boost. And, you know, I keep saying to people like, don't give people the opportunity to come back in and mess around with your head when they've already done that numerous times. (laughs) Yes. And on that note, (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. Um, Don't do it, people. No no good will come of it. Listen, if it's an ex who you have a genuinely loving, you know, you're friends, right? Yeah. Lockdown, you know, you'd have been in touch before lockdown. But if you have an ex who didn't treat you with love, care, trust, and respect, and what they want to do is drag you back to a version of yourself that you're, you know, you really want to leave behind, why go there? Like, why find their ego? Like, why put yourself in that place? What, just so they can turn around and disappear again? build you up with their big promises and then you know shoot back out of your life no. <laughs> don't, don't let them do it <laughs> close the door people close the door stop the cycle um which reminds me if anyone has loved listening to the absolute wisdom of natalie on this episode uh you can get more of it because you have an online course that you are just relaunching starting now yeah, so it's called Break the Cycle and it starts from the 27th of April. That's 2020 in case you happen to be listening in the future. <laughs> and it is really for anyone who has been in that frustrating dating and relationship cycle. But you've been saying, I really, really want a relationship. Like, why isn't this happening for me? And if you've been in that pattern or you've got another pattern going on in your life where you're like, I want to move on from that. I have a whole process that you work through that helps you get to the bottom of what's really going on and clear that out so you can move on to being the person you really are and moving on to the relationship you want as well, obviously post-lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're not dating in lockdown. Yeah, um, so that's sort of baggage reclaimed. I could have forward slash break the cycle. Beautiful, thank you. Uh, we'll put all of Natalie's contact details and things in the show notes, but... Nat, it's always such a joy to talk to you. You are so wise and warm and uh, just speak such good sense. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Harriet. You know I like hanging out with you. I love it. That was Natalie Liu and I talking about loneliness at the start of the first lockdown, um, but still incredibly relevant here and now, I think. Those lessons that Nat talks about, about 
learning to reach out about acknowledging that sometimes when we feel lonely it's because we're not being honest with ourselves or others oh my god those feel like lifetime lessons i'm still learning them but maybe getting a bit better my next guests came on the show earlier in the year uh, to talk about being the first and sometimes it's really scary when you are the first people to do something particularly when you're doing something that often drives a lot of disagreement or really strong feelings of hatred in a weird, weird way. But just their joy and calm and immense acceptance of themselves really struck me and I thought it would be nice to revisit them now. So this is Hannah and Jake Graff, the first transgender couple in the UK to have a baby. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. You can get in touch on all the socials on at Badass Women's Hour. Our next guests have a fairly unique story. Both transgender, they met, became a couple, fell in love, got married, wanted to start a family, and they are about to become one of, if not the first, transgender couple in the UK to have a baby. In fact, they have happened earlier this year. Uh, We are going to talk to them about their story now. It's Hannah and Jake Graff with their baby Millie. Hi, Hannah and Jake. Hi there, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, Jake, I gave a very short summary of your story, the two of you there, but tell us a little bit about how you met and when you decided you wanted to have a baby, what happened next? Well, firstly, we must clarify, we are by no means the first transgender parents in the UK. There have been trans parents in the UK for decades and decades. Um, We do believe that we might possibly be the first couple to use a surrogate. And obviously, you know, we're very, very lucky to have been able to do that. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of trans parents out there. Um, But, you know, we, I mean, we've wanted to have, I wanted to have a baby since I was in my 20s. And, you know, I always wanted to be a dad. And uh, when I met Hannah about five years ago, it was before we'd even met, in fact, the first phone conversation we ever had, I said to Hannah, how would you feel about kids and marriage? Because that's where I'm headed. And Hannah sort of quite nervously said, well, you know, I, I'd be open to that. And uh, that was kind of always on our on our horizon. So, you know, luckily Hannah was up for kids. And, you know, amazingly, five years later, we now have our little three-month-old sleeping in the room next door, which is certainly more than I could ever have dreamed of. And I think Hannah would agree. Yeah, the fact that she's sleeping, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, what is it like being a mum? How are you? How have you eased into it, particularly in the kind of weird times that are lockdown? I mean, I think a lockdown is a, is a strange time to have a baby, but at the same time, I think most people when they have a baby, you know, you kind of go into some sort of lockdown anyway. So I'm not sure how it's that different, but for me, um, it's been a really wonderful experience. I wasn't quite sure. How, what I was going to be like as a mother. I wasn't sure if I was going to live up to the expectations. Um, but in those very early days when Jake was having some sleep and it was just me and her, I realised that she was utterly dependent on me. And, you know, I was a mother and that was it. And all we've done is try to look after her as best we can. And, you know, I've loved every minute. You've both been very open about your story. That takes a lot of courage, particularly in today's day and age when it seems like people do not have anything better to do with their time than jump on the internet and argue with people what kind of what gave you the courage and the bravery to do that 
I mean, look, from my point of view, I grew up in, in 80s London where the word transgender wasn't even used. You know, it was kind of transsexual at best and it was never said in a positive way. And I knew that I was a boy from the age of about two or three. And, you know, obviously in a world where no one knows what it means and it's not, you know, there was no internet back then. We weren't present in films. We weren't in books. We weren't, you know, there was no mermaid charity to kind of help kids of you know with trans kids and their parents so we re, uh, you know i grew up really thinking i was the only boy in the world who didn't have a boy's body and i really felt like there was something very very wrong with me and that that kind of feeling of self-doubt and you know low self-esteem carried well into my adult years and i always you know as soon as i sort of medically transitioned i did you know decided that i would put myself out there as a as a role model or as, as so, you know just some sort of figure that young trans boys could look up to and think well you know that's someone who's doing something with his life who's made something of himself and you know even even just the sort of simple act of transitioning and, and kind of being out there proudly i think was something that we hadn't really seen before mm-hmm. so you know from my point of view it was that that sort of mantra of you know be the person that you so desperately needed when you were when you were a, a child when you were younger you said you had the baby through surrogate. How was the surrogacy experience? Because obviously it's it's different here in the UK than perhaps we might have seen in the US where it's almost, it becomes more of a business transaction. Here in the UK, it has to be done as a, almost as a gift. How did you find it? It is very different as it is in the US. It's not commercial. And so, as you say, you can't pay for a surrogate and it's very much a an altruistic um, thing that the surrogate is doing. And it is something that you kind of, do together it's a journey gone together it's kind of mutually beneficial um in, in that sense and so it's very, it feels a little bit like dating you've got to find someone who wants the same type of experience as you that kind of matches your expectations of what your relationship will be going forward um so it, it is a bit of a, a difficult thing to do but once you find someone you'll think with them it's the most amazing thing you know they help you and they're now in your lives and we're very lucky our surrogate law is amazing she's given us this amazing gift and you know we're having you know, such a positive experience. I think one of the things that lots of parents are thinking about at the moment is how they talk to their children about gender. So I think they're becoming more and more aware that potentially their child might be transgender. They might be in a school class with another child who's transgender. They want to have those discussions earlier with them about what gender means. How do you think your experiences are going to inform how you talk to Millie about gender? I think, I mean, look, we are, we want to be really careful not to put our gender identities and what we've gone through onto Millie, because obviously that, that is not her cross to bear. Um, obviously, we'll explain who we are and, you know, how she came to be and how we came to be, where we are and who we are and find each other and marry when that's age appropriate to do so. Um, you know, I remember years ago, I had a really right on friend who who felt that they should really talk to their four-year-old about gender and about, you know, if she liked girls. And I said, no, you know, honestly, unless a child is coming to you and sort of saying that they've, they're feeling that way, there's there's no really real need to broach those subjects unless they're unless it's sort of you know age appropriate and obviously there does come a time when it is age appropriate and I think so long as those things aren't hidden away and so long as the child isn't made to feel like those things are are wrong and like there's something sort of dirty or deviant about those things then they will learn in in, all, in good time and you know whenever Millie asks us questions then we will answer honestly and candidly because we have nothing to be ashamed of you know our gender identities are 
unfortunately something we've kind of you know had to deal with and we hope that the next generation of trans kids it won't be so hard for them and for those kids who have trans kids in their class you know i think again there is great teaching in schools these days that we are whether or not you're trans or you're gay or you're black or you're white or you're muslim or you're jewish that we should all just be accepting i think that should really be the mantra whether it's about gender or anything else what would you say to perhaps other parents who their child might be transgender or they are concerned that they should this is something they should be aware of what advice would you give them i think the advice that we give is that the only thing you really have to do is listen to and love your child and everything else will kind of work itself out i mean i think there's a lot of kind of narrative in the press that you know there's this people are trying to do things to children all these things happen really fast and it's loads of drugs really quickly whereas in reality these things are a huge long process with lots of hoops to jump through and lots of kind of checkpoints and safeguards along the way but all that you need to do as a parent or as a as an adult talking to a child is to say i love you i respect you and i listen to you and you know we'll work it out together as long as you have that ability to be accepting then you can have open and honest and frank conversations and you can find out what's generally in the best interest of the child absolutely i remember when i when i told my mom and i was at the ripe old age of 28 when i told my mom and the first thing she said to me is you know what are we going to do about it and i think that works at any age as you know as a young child if someone had said to me okay this is how you feel what are we going to do about it and we'll do this together it just would have made all the difference to me so i think you know that kind of goes through life whenever anyone comes out as trans just like if anyone anyone comes out as gay you know so long as you just say that's absolutely no problem and you know let's deal with this together i think from there on in there is hope and people really respond well to, to just knowing that they're not being judged that was hannah and jake graff I hope you found their story as charming and inspiring as I did. This is all for this week, but not quite for 2020. Oh no, we have more gifts from 2020. I really hope 2020 has no more gifts for us. But there will be another show next week. It will feature the delectable Dolly Alderton, the amazing Layla Saad, and we will be talking love, Black Lives Matter, and what we've learned from 2020. And if you like the show, please do, as ever, rate, review, subscribe, um, help other people find us in 2021 so we can keep this going and bring you more amazing best women. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 